Welcome to We Got Goals. This is a podcast from sweatlife.com on which we talk to high achievers about their goals. I'm Kristen Guile, and with me today is Emily Groden. She is the founder and CEO of Evergreen Waffles, which are clean, frozen mini waffles that are perfect for breakfast, for a snack, for when you want to have breakfast for dinner, um, pretty much any meal of the day, I would say. <laughs> Emily, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. We were excited to have you on. Um, as a breakfast enthusiast who actually had like a Waffle House club in high school, where I made my friends go to Waffle House every Friday before school, which is, it's early, but somehow we did it. <laughs> we had a lot more energy back then, I would say. Um, but I'm excited to hear from you and how Evergreen has come to be and where you're expecting and hoping to go in the future. So why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and Evergreen's story? Sure. Um, so if you had asked me five years ago when I was graduating from law school uh, what I would be doing today, it certainly wouldn't have been managing a frozen waffle company. Um, it is, if you look at the arc of my career, it seems like an odd place to end up, but I do think it makes sense. So I'm gonna kind of step back through the various steps along the way um, and explain. So I have been a lifelong athlete. Um, I was a competitive swimmer growing up. I swam in college. And if you know anything about competitive swimming, you train for five hours a day, you're burning so much fuel. So you're constantly refueling yourself. And so I was always eating, always thinking about food and I just loved food. So that's where the initial love of food came from. Um, I went to college at Yale where I swam. I, uh, because I love food, I was drawn to a course called the psychology, philosophy and politics of food. And it covered a whole range of topics as the title suggests. Um, but it was the first time I started to think about the quality of food and of our processed foods. It talked about, for example, high fructose corn syrup and how kind of big brands were pumping it into highly processed foods because it was cheap to use. It, it tasted sweet and sweet sells. And I didn't change my behavior at this point, but it certainly planted a seed. So I continued on. I graduated from college. I went into consulting for a few years and then I started uh, at Harvard Law School. And I was convinced I wanted to be a corporate lawyer. I really wanted to do mergers and acquisitions and corporate governance, super nerdy, but that was my dream at the time. And so I stacked my first two years there with basically every corporate law class that Harvard had to offer. And by the time I got to my third year, I had all these extra credits that I could do kind of whatever I wanted with. And Harvard had a food law and policy clinic. And to me, it sounded a lot like the class that I'd taken in college that I really liked. And I figured, why not spend some time there my third year? And I just, I fell in love. We, I, I focused on two issues, mainly food waste and the accessibility of healthy, nutritious food to all communities. So thinking about food deserts, the quality of federally funded school meals, et cetera. And one would think maybe the writing should have been on the wall at that point that I really loved food and that should be the direction my career goes in. Um, but I ignored that and figured it was a hobby and continued on my course. I graduated from law school. I moved back to Chicago, joined a big law firm as a corporate associate. And it became apparent pretty quickly to me that it was not 
my dream career. I, I liked it enough. I, I loved my colleagues. I loved the firm itself. I had really great mentors, but it wasn't something that I woke up in the morning, super excited to go do. I wasn't thrilled to be up late at night doing it. And I was spending basically all of my time outside of work thinking about food. I was cooking a lot. Um, I had through my studies kind of come to distrust the big brands and their packaged foods because you know, there's so much hidden and highly processed foods added as preservatives that I didn't really want to be eating. Um, so I was, you know, baking my own breads. I was rolling my own pastas. I was curing my own fish. Um, I was making my own nut milks from scratch. And when I wasn't in the kitchen, I was watching food related TV. So one night in um, late 2016, I turn on the TV, turn on Netflix chef's table. I don't know if you've seen. Yep. I'm familiar. Great show. Turn on the Alinea episode and Alinea at the time was like a mile from where I lived. I'd never been. Um, and I didn't really know that much about the story of the restaurant. Uh, and my mind was just blown. I was, I, uh, the food was so beautiful and looked so delicious and the chefs were so passionate and so creative. And I was just so inspired. And then in this moment of inspiration, I turned off the TV, I opened my laptop and I found Nick Akonis's email. Nick Akonis is the co-founder of the group um, online. I shot him a cold email, basically asking if he needed a lawyer. Thought I'd never hear from him again. 15 minutes later, he wrote me back and he said, why don't you come in to my office and let's talk. So I went into his office and um, he, he basically said, you know, like I wasn't, I wasn't looking for a lawyer, but I guess it makes sense at this point in, in the company's growth. So let's do it. And that was that. So I left my law firm. I moved over. I, I took a position as general counsel of the Alinea Group and also Talk, which is the reservation software that Nick also co-founded. And I was there for three and a half years. Um, up until about a month and a half ago. And I mean, talk about like the ideal job for a lawyer who loves food. <laughs> um, it just to be around that caliber of food, that caliber of chefs, but also more generally, um, it was a really transformative, transformative experience for me being around Nick and the rest of the leadership team and how they think about the world. They are really well known for just constantly questioning the status quo. For example, like why are there bread baskets on tables? Why are there white tablecloths on tables? And I just, I loved how they had their view of the world. And I just thought it was so interesting. And it, um, it, it was an amazing three and a half years. So fast forward a little bit of time, uh, and towards the end of 2017, I was continuing to soak up everything I could about the food world via TV and books and podcasts. And I was driving home from work one night listening to a podcast and it was talking about the frozen breakfast market and how big it is and how that really well-known brand with the really well-known waffle um, that I will not name is still so dominant. And I, I couldn't, I kind of couldn't believe it. Because personally, I mean, they're, they're not very nutritious. 
I don't think they're that good. And I, I just, I couldn't really wrap my head around the fact that no other players had come in yet and really made a big dent. Um, and I do have to give Nick and the leadership team credit for like prior to working for them. I feel like I would have heard that fact and just kind of gone on with my life, but because I had them in my head all the time asking why, why can't something be different? Why does it have to be that way? I found myself questioning uh, the frozen breakfast market. And um, I also, at this point was my husband and I were planning to start a family and we had friends and family that had already started families. And I knew that you feed babies and toddlers frozen waffles. I also knew as a working mom, I wasn't going to be able to make my baby and toddler homemade waffles every morning. And so I decided I was going to take it into my own, own hands and try to figure out a solution. So I got home, I Amazon primed a mini waffle iron. It arrived the next day, of course. And that weekend I started tinkering with recipes and I kind of continued to do that. Um, through the time our daughter was born in August of 2018. And um, through my maternity leave when she was napping, and then I got back to work in November of 2018 and very quickly realized that when you're a working mom with a newborn, you do not have extra time at nights and on weekends to pursue side hustles any longer. And so it was basically came down to, I'm either gonna give this up or I need more time, like real time to dedicate to it. So in January of 2019, I walked into Nick's office and could barely keep a straight face as general counsel walking to, into his office. And I said, hey, Nick, um, I would like to start a frozen waffle company. Can I drop down a part time? And I thought there was about a 50% chance I get fired on the spot and a 50% chance he said, absolutely. And he said, absolutely. Um, which I give him so much credit for. He, he basically said, look, if you can do your work on the three days a week that we have you, I don't care what you do on the other two days a week, go for it. So that's what I did. I dropped down to part-time and um, I started working on Evergreen two days a week. Um, and I worked on Evergreen two days a week up until the beginning of August of this year when I finally quit and, and started pursuing it full-time. But, you know, from now, from, um, the first nine months of being part-time, I like I hired a design firm to design my packaging. I uh, called a bunch of co-packers to see if they would make my product for me and had the same conversation over and over and over again. They said, your product sounds great. Who are your customers? And I very naively said, oh, I don't have any yet. And they answered, great, call us back when you do. Uh, quickly realized that I was going to have to start making these myself if I wanted to bring them to market. So I got licensed to work at a shared commercial kitchen. I found a shared commercial kitchen, finally actually started making them in end of August of 2019. So I am coming up. I just had basically the year anniversary of the beginning of Evergreen, which is very exciting. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. And now you guys have five flavors. You just came out with a new one in honor yeah. of the fall, right? Yes. Um, yeah, we, we launched with four flavors. Uh, the original flavors were peanut butter and banana, which tastes, um, I think of it as like a peanut buttery banana bread, uh, zucchini and carrot, which uh, some people look at and they're like, could that possibly be good? But it's, there's a lot of cinnamon in there. So it tastes kind of, I think of it as a cross between a zucchini bread and a carrot cake. 
And um, we have mixed berry almond, which was inspired by, I love baking like a mixed berry uh, crumble in the summer. And so those were the flavors that inspired it. We make a mixed berry jam from scratch from just blueberries, strawberries, raspberries, and blackberries and honey. And then we kind of dollop it onto each waffle. And then um, chocolate chip and matcha, those were the original four. And then we just launched a pumpkin and pecan for the fall, which maybe it'll stick around year round. It's really good. I would eat it year round, um, but super excited about that. Pumpkin is the first ingredient. So a ton of pumpkin in there, really flavorful. And if it's the first ingredient listed, it means there's the most of that, right? In terms of labels. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so it's not like I put a little bit of pumpkin in and you know slap the label pumpkin on there. There's a lot of pumpkin. Right. I think if you, I've been eating those this week with like a little bit of homemade whipped cream. Ooh. And it tastes, I think, a lot like pumpkin pie. That sounds amazing. Um, I had the mixed berry and almond for breakfast today. And I had it with um, peanut butter and then maple syrup and then like a side of bananas and blueberries to really amp the blueberry factor. But I'm a huge breakfast person, so this is like my dream come true. Were you a baker throughout your life or were, were you teaching yourself on the go as you Amazon primed these waffle makers to your house? Um, I, I got into cooking probably kind of that third year of law school as I was starting to learn more about it. I did not cook at all in college or prior to that. Um, but yes, I had been, I had been cooking and baking a lot and was really just obsessed with, with food as I've said. Um, so it, you know, I had the tools in my toolkit, I felt like, but what I, the approach I basically took is I, I wanted to make it the, I wanted to make the ingredient list the most streamlined, the most simple I possibly could with the cleanest ingredients. Basically everything in every flavor of waffle either has a nutritional function or a, a nutritional benefit or a, like a functional benefit. So, um, you know, like every, every waffle is made with 100% whole wheat flour. Uh, there's no refined sugars. They are sweetened by honey. Um, there's no dairy. I use almond instead of dairy. Uh, the flavoring is just fruits, vegetables, nuts, and spices. So no artificial flavors, no even quote unquote natural flavors, just the real stuff. Um, we just started using an avocado oil spray. You'll start to see that roll out in stores on the label in the next few months um, so that we can increase kind of production speed and decrease sticking. But even that was a really, we, we really thought through that decision. We knew we needed to introduce an oil, but we wanted to use an oil that also had nutritional benefits. So we settled on avocado oil um, as opposed to like a canola oil or whatnot. So we've been super thoughtful about the ingredients list. That is what we care so much about. At the end of the day, I mean, the reason I made these was for my own family. So it's what I would feed and what I do feed my daughter literally every day. I mean, these, she's now in school and they're such a lifesaver. We, we literally heat two up um, and she eats them in the stroller on the way to school every morning. And it's just, it's so easy and it's so nice because I know I'm feeding her something that is nutritionally dense, that she likes, that will keep her full and satisfied throughout the morning. 
that's not going to give her a sugar crash. They're perfect on the go. I also have a lot of fun, as you said, you know, dressing them up with, they're so good. Every flavor is really good with nut butters and with syrups or honey. Um, they're also really good with cream cheeses, dairy or non-dairy. Because uh, if you think of like the zucchini and carrot flavor being kind of like carrot cake, often has a cream cheese frosting. Um, or even like the pumpkin and pecan flavor, often like a pumpkin cake will have a cream cheese frosting. So there, if you look at our Instagram account, I have a lot of fun getting super creative, different ways to eat it. Your Instagram account is beautiful. I looked through it for a little bit of inspiration when I was thinking about how to make my waffles today. And yeah. as soon as I saw it, I like looked at your Instagram account and then I looked down at my plate and I was like, maybe I could do this a little more artfully next time. <laughs> it was just, I mean, it's so gorgeous. Um, and it really showcases like the variety of ways that you can use these waffles. If you're not necessarily a breakfast person, it seems like that doesn't have to stop you from enjoying these. Oh no, we eat them all day over here for sure. And you can make them savory or sweet, but yeah, the options are endless. Love it. Um, well, that was an awesome background. Thank you so much. I, I had no idea that you were a swimmer and um, I read, I, I stalked you on LinkedIn a little bit. So if you get a notification that Kristen viewed your profile on LinkedIn, that was me. But, and I had seen that you worked at the Alinea group and the, the fact that you just cold emailed Nick is really impressive. And I'm curious if like following your gut has been kind of a recurring theme throughout this entrepreneurial journey. A thousand percent. Um, it's funny because I, I, I wouldn't necessarily have thought of myself always as somebody who really follows her gut. I think that the hardest decision point for me along this journey was to leave Big Law. And once I left Big Law, because that was the path that I was on for a really long time, and it's where I had envisioned myself being for the rest of my life. And once I kind of got off that train, it's become a lot easier to, to follow my gut, as you said. Like, it was a lot easier to leave the Alinea Group and Talk to start Evergreen than it was to leave my big law firm to go to the, the Alinea Group and Talk. Um, but yes, I think following your gut is, is super, super important. Um, I've made a lot of decisions along the way that were just like, there is no other way for me to describe it other than I feel like this is right. Um, and so far, knock on wood, it's turned out pretty well. <laughs> um, but yes, I think it's really important to have that self-confidence. It's also has been so important for me. I'm surrounded by an incredible support network. My husband is my number one cheerleader. He, um, when I was thinking about leaving Big Law and going to the Alinea Group and talk, I had serious reservations because I hadn't been in Big Law for that long. So I wasn't sure I was ready to take on the role of general counsel, which means you are like the lawyer making the decisions. Um, you know, it was a, it was a big pay cut. I just, there were a lot of reasons that I just wasn't sure it was the right time. And he looked at me and he was like, Emily, if you want this, first of all, you have to decide if you want this, but if you do want this, you, you gotta do it. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. It is literally the perfect job for you. And I just think you got to follow this dream. So having him and he did the same thing when I was thinking about Evergreen, um, having that support system to kind of, your gut's telling you one thing and then you need that supportive person to a little nudge you over the edge. 
has been amazing. My parents have been the same way. Um, so yeah, the, it, it, it takes a village for sure. Yeah, I think we're all learning that more than ever right now too, under, under current circumstances. I want to get into the first that we ask everyone who comes on our podcast, and that is what is a big goal you've had in the past? Why was it important to you? And how did you get there? And you might have already touched on some of these, but um, just asking for the listeners. Yeah, no, for sure. I, that's such a good question. Um, it's funny when I think back to career goals, it's kind of hard to pinpoint because my, I feel like my goalpost has shifted so dramatically over the last five to 10 years. Um, you know, from big law to being an in-house lawyer to now having my own company. And as we just kind of, as we just touched on, I think for me, something that I'm the most proud of is being okay, letting go of goals when they no longer are the best thing for me. Um, I think if I look at it, you know, at a high level, my goal has always been to find a career that I really am passionate about, that I am excited to get out of bed in the morning for, that I don't mind working really late at night for. Um, you know, there's the cliche saying, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But I've always, I've always wanted that. Um, and I feel like I have been able to accomplish that by following my gut, by not being afraid to deviate from what my plan was. Um, and so, you know, when it became apparent to me that that big law wasn't what, you know, made me tick, being okay living there, leaving there and moving to in-house life. And then when I had this other idea that was just eating away at me and I desperately wanted to follow it, being okay leaving in-house life, even though I loved it so much, and pursuing Evergreen. Um, so I think that has, has been my biggest goal. And, you know, as of today, sitting here, I feel like I've accomplished that, uh, which feels really good. Um, another goal, which is not related to career, although tangentially, um, I, I completed a Ironman, an Ironman triathlon in April of 2017. Oh, congrats. Thanks, which is a crazy, crazy race. For, for anyone listening who doesn't know what the race is, it's 2.4 mile swim, um, 112 mile bike, and a marathon run tacked on to the end. And it's, it's, there is nothing quite like getting off the bike after swimming 2.4 miles, then biking 112 miles, and then realizing that you have a whole marathon to run. You're like, oh, it's it. I only have, I only have the marathon left to run. Right. But I just feel like my whole life, and I know this is a big part of what you guys do. I just, I feel like the lessons that I have learned in the pool or, or on the track um, are, have been so important to my professional life and my personal life. Um, but, you know, like the, the physical toughness and the mental toughness that you acquire through sport, it just prepares you for the challenges that come your way outside of the sports arena. Um, and even with, you know, the Ironman in particular, I remember running that marathon and I, I, basically it was like one foot in front of the other, but I, they had a water station at every, at every mile marker at that point. Cause everyone is, which is much more than a regular marathon. 
because everybody has been going for so many hours at that point and it needs a lot of fluid. Um, and I just remember telling myself like one mile at a time, just get from here to the next water station and that's all you need to do. And then you think about the next mile and you know, it's lessons like that, like break, break seemingly insurmountable tasks in your professional life or your personal life into these bite-sized pieces. And it will always be so much easier to handle. And I've, I've applied that lesson to Evergreen for sure. I applied it when I was in-house at Alaya and Talk. Um, I've thought about, it's very popular for Ironman triathletes to get the tattoo of the uh, Ironman symbol. A lot of people get it on the back of their calves. I have not done it yet, but I've thought about getting just a little one on my wrist as a reminder. If I ever need a reminder to look down and be like, I can do this. Like one, one step at a time, one mile at a time, I can get through whatever it is. So what, that's a great story, by the way. And congratulations again, because it, it is no small feat to do an Ironman. I'm kind of getting the sense and, you know, stop me if I'm wrong, that you're like, you've got this background as a competitive swimmer. You went to two amazing schools. You were a, a corporate lawyer. You're super driven, obviously. And it, you might be a sort of type A goal oriented person naturally. I'm, I'm projecting here. <laughs> but you seem like someone who always kind of has a plan and has a knows like what they want to do next. But startups are clearly very messy. You know, they're tough. They throw you a lot of different punches that you have to roll with. So I'd love, first of all, tell me if I'm right. And then how you sort of adapted to the challenges um, when there's really no such structure and you have to sort of build the airplane while you're in the sky? That is an awesome question. And you, you nailed it right on the nose. I am a very, very much a type A person. Um, I have to say that working in a startup environment for the last three and a half years was invaluable. Um, Nick's, Nick has this uh, graphic that he loved to show our whole company. I'm talking more on the talk side now because Alinea has been around for 15, over 15 years. Um, talk is still very much a startup. So Nick would often show the whole company this, um, this diagram that it was like the various stages of a startup. And it basically the point was that, you know, every day, there are going to be times during the day when you're like, this is the best thing ever. And then an hour later, you're like, what was I thinking? Get me out of here. And it just goes like that up and down and up and down and up and down every day, multiple times a day. And I think about that diagram every day because there are really high highs and there are really low lows. But had I not been in that environment, you're right. I don't know how well I would have rolled with these punches but I got used, I got exposed to it and got used to it and learned that that's normal for a startup. I also will say that um, I have been very fortunate to be connected with other startup founders in the CPG space and just to you know chat, get to know each other, talk about future collaborations, whatnot. Um, but it is so nice talking to other startup founders and just kind of, you know, talking about your experiences and everybody has the same experiences. And that's so nice too, because you don't sit here thinking I'm this, I'm the only person that's dealing with this issue or this problem. It happens to everybody. And so I just, 
tried to keep that in mind and try to keep meeting as many people as I can. So that gets reinforced, but it's been super helpful. Yeah. We are a big fan of the phrase, everything is better with friends. And one thing that we also learned early on into sweat life is not to view our competition as competition, but to view them as like partners. And like, if they, that makes it more likely that we'll be able to succeed too, because people will be more, you know, looking for those types of partnerships or services or engagements or whatever, because someone else has been there too. So I love hearing you say that you've gotten a lot of value out of those relationships. And uh, one thing that I was also thinking about just now was how you mentioned at first that with Nick and the Alinea group that you learned, you know, sort of to question everything and, you know, why are the tablecloths white and why do we do the bread basket? And I'd love to hear more about if that's something that you're thinking of with Evergreen too, or like uh, how you've sort of carried that mindset into this new adventure. For sure. Um, I'm trying to pick a few examples because there are a lot of them. Uh, I mean, first of all, our waffles are in stand-up bags, stand-up resealable bags. I noticed that when I, when I unpackage them. And so the, um, the equivalent of the like wired they're always white tablecloths to me was like, why are waffles always in boxes? Um, and I thought, A, it's really annoying when you have a box of waffles that are opened and then you put them back in the freezer because you can't really close them. You need like a rubber band. And so how nice would it be to have a stand up resealable bag? But then when you get low on waffles, you can kind of fold it up and squeeze it into a little corner of your freezer. So freezer is very valuable real estate, at least in our house. Um, and also I figured I was going to be making the waffles myself, at least in the beginning. So I needed, I needed packaging that I could seal very easily by myself with like a pretty cheap piece of equipment. And so I figured if I do these stand up bags that are resealable and I, all I need is a heat sealer, conceal them properly and then they're done. So there's an example. Um, uh, the biggest one for me and what really triggered this whole company was I couldn't figure out why all these frozen waffle companies had all these extras in their frozen waffles when they're frozen. What I like to say is our only preservative is the freezer. You don't need preservatives when you have the cold temperatures. Um, and so that's the approach I've taken. Um, I mean, we have lit, we have literally nothing extra, as I've already said, I like to, um, use the example I was looking, I obviously did market research on what was out there as I started down this path. And, you know, there's another better for you waffle brand out there that has a blueberry flavored waffle. And I mean, this is a brand that you would look at and think it's healthy. And, but if you look at the ingredients, there are 10 ingredients that make up blueberries in the waffle. Just the blueberry part. Just the blueberries. Oh. Yeah. And the first ingredient isn't even blueberry, it's apple juice. And so for me, again, I was like, why does it have to be that way? And it, and then the very easy answer was it doesn't. And so let's do it differently. Um, and so like I said, we make that, we make a blueberry or a mixed berry jam from scratch. Um, that's how I started doing it myself when in my home kitchen. That's how I did it in the shared commercial kitchen. And then um, part of the story that I skipped over, I started making them in the shared commercial kitchen. 
only made them for about a month there before I applied to and was accepted into Whole Foods as a local vendor. And so very quickly realized I can't fulfill all the orders for Whole Foods by myself in the shared commercial kitchen. Finally got a co-packer to take me. It's a lot easier to get a co-packer when you say Whole Foods is my customer than when you don't have any. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I uh, went to the co-packer and I was telling him how I make the waffles and I was telling him about the jam and he thought I was crazy. He was like, yeah, like, how are you going to scale that process? And I was like, you know, we'll figure it out, but it's so important to me to keep it like this with nothing extra. I can't use a pre-made jam that's going to have pectin and refined sugars and all sorts of other stuff in there. Like this is how it's got to be. And I put my foot down. And so that is how we make the jam to this day. Um, but yes, yeah, so I, there've been, I mean, there's so many examples of times where I've been told like, no, this is how it's, it's done or this, or, you know, I've seen, this is how it's done. And, and, I hear Nick in my head, you know, nope, there can always be another way to do it, better, higher quality, et cetera. I want to get to the second question that we ask everyone who comes on the podcast, and it's a spinoff the first. So uh, tell us about a big goal that you have for the future, why it's important to you and your big planner. So what's your plan to get there? Um, well, the whole kind of reason I made, I started the company. The, the initial reason was to have waffles for my own daughter. Um, but be, when I kind of looked beyond that immediate step, it is really to provide busy families with a delicious and nutritious option that they can have at their fingertips. I refuse to believe that we have to sacrifice quality, nutrition, and taste um, for convenience in this day and age where our schedules are so busy. I just, I don't believe that. I don't buy that argument. And so in order to accomplish that and to show the world that really, I mean, the goal is to become a household brand name nationwide. So right now we are, uh, we're sold in 46 Whole Foods across the Midwest, um, plus a few other Chicago, local Chicago places, uh, which is, and we, um, ship nationwide on dry ice so which is great so we can we reach a lot of people but we have a long long way to go so um the uh in the immediate future in order to go from a kind of local regional brand to a national brand i have to hire the right people and that means a couple things one um you know both service providers and, and some and one day employees but uh you know People are really good at what they do. I, I just hired a sales agency who is going to help me get into retailers kind of in other regions of the U.S., which is super exciting. Um, but they're very good at what they do. And so hoping, hoping they can really help take us to that next level. Um, but also, once I start to hire people internally, I'm still the only employee. It's, it's super important to me to hire people from different backgrounds with different experiences. Um, I just think like diversity of thought is invaluable and, um, and so important. And also I need people who are going to call me out on my bad ideas. I will have many bad ideas over the next five to 10 years. And I can't have a room full of people who are like, yeah, that's great. Uh, so I need people who are willing to stand up to me, um, and tell me when I'm wrong. So right people, um, 
I need to continue to stick unwaveringly to the principles that I founded Evergreen on. So like the Mixberry Jam example, I am sure I will have more examples like that. You know, I've been told, I've already been told that, um, you know, certain batter depositor machines don't work well with um, like actual things in the batter. I can be more specific than things. Um, so for example, <laughs> with, with our zucchini and carrot waffles, we have real shredded carrot and zucchini. And I've been told by a lot of people that, you know, these depositors that will enable you to really scale like the zucchini and carrot shreds are going to get stuck. Um, and I'm like, I'm not going to give up on my real shredded zucchini and carrot. And so I just need to, you know, remind myself daily that these were the principles I founded Evergreen on and I will not waver from them. We can find another way to do it. Um, so that's two. And then Three, what's really important to me is that we weave social responsibility into the fabric of this company from day one. And how I've been doing that so far is, um, you know, when you work with a big manufacturer and you order 24 cases of something, they will often produce more than 24 cases. And so those are called overruns. And I donate all my overruns to a food shelter in Chicago. Um, which has been really amazing, really fulfilling and super important, particularly right now when food shelters are experiencing two, three X um, demand than what they usually experience. So I, I will continue working with that shelter. I love that partnership. Um, I really want to go back to those two issues that I studied in law school um, the food waste issue and kind of the accessibility of high quality nutritious food to all communities and figure out how to work those into my brand. So food waste, I feel like we're already attacking on the frozen front because frozen food has a much longer shelf life. Um, I really want to start working with, um, you know, imperfect fruits and vegetable suppliers uh, because I don't need like pretty, carrots and zucchinis to shred up and put into my waffles. Um, and so these companies out there that take slightly disformed but perfectly good fruits and vegetables that a retailer can't sell and sell them direct to consumer or wholesale would be a perfect partner and a perfect way for Evergreen to do their part to make sure that that doesn't go to waste. Um, and then on the accessibility side, uh, like I said, I'll continue working with the food shelter. I would love to figure out a way to get these waffles like directly into the hands of kids who might not be shopping at Whole Foods, for example, or who might be relying on federally funded school meals. Um, and I have a lot to figure out there, but I will figure it out. I've got time. I just, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I quit my day job as general counsel. Um, of Alinea and talk about two months ago. So I have gone from working on this only two days a week to five days a week for the last two months, but I am excited to have this time to really make sure that our brand um, focuses on those issues that I care so deeply about going forward. I especially love the, that you want to get the product into the hands of kids who could use the clean nutrition and the, the easy food, because that's such a perfect way to tie it back into the inspiration when you were having your daughter and just kind of bringing it full circle into 
you know, making easy, nutritious food accessible to anyone who needs it. So I think that's a great idea. We are almost out of time. I do want to ask you a couple of quick, quick hitter questions, if you will. First of all, would you share what your current favorite, like savory and sweet combo is with evergreen waffles? Because sweet, I can pretty much handle. I'm just curious, but savory, I need help with. Ooh, um, that is an awesome question. Savory, I really love using them for uh, like a breakfast sandwich slider. Okay, so, tell me more. Like I'll, I'll uh, fry an egg with like a runny yolk and then layer on um, uh, like bacon or spinach or tomatoes or even some melted cheese. And it's like just like a really nice little vehicle for a cute little sandwich. I've also had a lot of fun, basically anything with eggs. I've had a lot of fun playing with egg dishes. So you can, there's, there's a post up on um, our Instagram. If you roll out the waffles, once they're warmed, you can um, like fit them into a muffin tin basically and create a liner for an egg, cheese, veggie mixture, and then bake it in the oven for a pretty short amount of time. And then out comes this really delicious, really satisfying, really nutritious and balanced little egg cup. And then you can save the rest in the fridge for the week and then you have breakfast for the week. Do you do that with the zucchini and carrot ones mostly? I usually do the savory combinations with the zucchini and carrot. Um, I think like a, I, I, I sometimes do like a fried chicken and waffles. I'll, we, my husband makes a really good air fryer fried chicken. And that I think goes really well with the peanut butter and banana flavor and like yeah. a, little, even a little honey butter. Yeah. So. Oh, that sounds delicious. I have an air fryer. I can do this. Um, yeah. About sweet. What's your favorite sweet waffle combination right now? Um, that's so hard. I have, I have such a sweet tooth. I'm such a sweet minded person. Um, they are really good as um, ice cream sandwiches. So, and like the flavor combinations are endless here. So you can do um, like I've done like a peanut butter and jelly ice cream sandwich with the peanut butter and banana and then like a strawberry ice cream. And then you can roll it in some like chopped peanuts to, to uh, stick to the ice cream on the edges. And then so you get a little crunch or um, I've Whole Foods makes a like peanut butter cup caramel ice cream that is amazing on the peanut butter and banana ones. And I, I make, um, you can make a really healthy homemade chocolate sauce with just cacao powder, honey and um, avocado oil. And then, so I'll dip the sandwiches in that chocolate sauce and then put it in the fridge or freezer rather and let it set. And then it's like a chocolate dipped ice cream sandwich. Yeah. This sounds so good. Really good. The other thing really sweet that's really good on the waffles is um, like a better for you frosting. There, there are a bunch of brands out there now that make frostings with like coconut oil and they're not, you know, healthy, but they are better for you than your average canned frosting. Frosting on these guys is, are, it's so good. Uh, you can make like little, they're almost, it almost tastes like a little cupcake, except instead of the cake base, it's like a whole grain 
high protein, high, nice high protein, um, high fiber waffle. So nice. Yeah. Oh, sounds so good. Okay. Last question. It is a hard hitter. So don't be afraid to think about it for a few minutes if you need to. On Parks and Recreation, <laughs> Leslie Nope once said, we need to remember what's important in life. Friends, waffles, work, or waffles, friends, work. Doesn't matter, but work is third. Would you agree, or do you think waffles are just most important, oh, number one? No, they're definitely not the most important. Um, I think about this all the time, actually. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's an awesome quote. I've, sadly, I've never seen Parks and Rec. And I know I need to. I'm a huge Office fan. And so, like, Parks and Rec is the natural next step. Yeah. Um, but I love the quote, and it only makes me want to see Parks and Rec more. Um, I am really grateful that I started Evergreen after having my daughter. Um, and, I mean, I wouldn't have started Evergreen before having my daughter because she was the inspiration for Evergreen to begin with. But it just has... it brings everything into perspective and it's not friends but family same vein um like there is nothing in the world that's more important to me than my family and my friends and having a daughter really brings that home for me um and so on the days when there are more more lows than highs like all i have to do is go visit her where she's playing downstairs and give her a big hug and a kiss and it just goes away. There's, there's nothing more important than her and our family and her health and safety. And, um, and so it just kind of brings you back down to earth when work might seem like it's not going so well. Um, so, so yeah, no, waffles are definitely not the most important. I would, I, uh, they, they come after family and friends for sure. <laughs> they are work. So I don't know how to, <laughs> You're taught work and waffles are one and the same for me right now. Um, but, but yeah, no, family and friends will always be number one. Emily, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. You have earned a self-promotional time for yourself. So can you tell us where we can find out more about Evergreen, where we can order or buy from you guys in stores in the Midwest? Absolutely. Um, so you can, read all about us on our website, which is www.eatevergreen.com. You can look at pretty pictures of yummy looking waffles on Instagram at, at eatevergreen. Um, you can find us, like I said, in 46 Whole Foods across the Midwest, uh, all Illinois Whole Foods, and then Whole Foods, certain Whole Foods in Indiana, Wisconsin, Michigan, Missouri, um, Minnesota, and Iowa. And then you can also find Evergreen in a few kind of local places around Chicago. That's all listed on our website as well. And finally, we ship nationwide on dry ice. So even if you don't live on the Midwest, um, have no fear, we can get Evergreen to you. And again, that uh, you can get to the shop um, page of our website from, from the homepage. Awesome. Emily, thank you so much for being on We Got Goals today. Thank you so much.